0: Welcome to Rumsey Connections. My name is Meredith Gaskins, and I'm joined today by Alex Lutz, the VP of Marketing and Public Relations at Rumsey, Dan Ryan, the Advertising Director at the Staten Island Advance, and Dr. Alex Barkin, our Chief of Bariatric Surgery and Vice Chair for the Department of Surgery at Richmond University Medical Center. Welcome. Thank you. Through Rumsey Connections, you will meet the fantastic doctors, nurses, and medical professionals that make our hospital thrive. Will also provide useful information about your own health, explore the latest medical news, and hopefully get you answers to some of your own health-related questions. The bariatrics field is a medical specialty that explores the study and treatment of obesity through surgeries or other applicable methods. Richmond University Medical Center's Bariatric and Metabolic Institute is operated by knowledgeable medical professionals trained to perform a wide variety of bariatrics procedures aimed at addressing obesity, including sleeve gastrectomy, gastric bypass, bariatric revision surgery, lap band surgery, and support groups. In this episode, we continue our conversation with Dr. Alex Barkin, Chief of Bariatric Surgery and Vice Chair of Department of Surgery at Richmond University Medical Center. Dr. Barkin is the founder of the hospital's Bariatric and Metabolic Institute. Last episode, we talked about bariatric services that are performed at RUMSEY. In this episode, we'll discuss the total bariatric journey from who qualifies to what the process is like before and after and life post-surgery. right, so Dr. Barkin, can you tell us who is a candidate for weight loss surgery?
1: So we use basic criteria, the body mass index. That's our basic criteria. If a patient has a body mass index between 35 and 40 and has other medical problems such as sleep apnea, diabetes, they can qualify for surgery. And if their BMI is over 40, that qualifies them to surgery just
2: by itself. Does a patient need to be in relatively good health to qualify for surgery? Well, you know, by definition, patients who require surgery
1: probably have some metabolic issues, uh, not necessarily severe, but they probably have some metabolic issues. So, by definition, it's a high risk patient.
0: And what sort of preoperative tests do a patient go through before? getting a weight loss procedure.
1: So, when patients come in for consultation, we do a screening. We screen them for something called STOP-BANG, which screens them for sleep apnea. If they reach a certain score, then they need a pulmonary consult and possibly a sleep study if they haven't had one or do not use a sleep apnea machine. Um, Also, the same thing goes for cardiology. Patients will undergo cardiology workup and the cardiologist will decide what they need. If they need a stress test or they don't, the, the, the cardiologist's decision. Patients need to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist uh, who assesses their uh, understanding of the procedure, understanding of what they're getting themselves into, and whatever other issues that need to be addressed. They see a nutritionist to go over diet plans, uh, pre and post surgery. A set of labs have to be done. And uh, patients have to be tested for bacteria called H. pylori they can cause ulcers after surgery. So they either get tested through breath uh, analysis uh, and, or sometimes endoscopy to
2: evaluate the anatomy prior, prior to surgery. So that's sort of the workup in a nutshell that most patients have to go through. So based on what you're saying, this is not a procedure or, a, or, or where they meet with you on Tuesday, they're having surgery three weeks later. Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. What pro- is that time? So the process on the average is about two to three months. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: Recently, uh, ins- some insurance companies, or a lot of them, have changed their criteria. It used to be monthly weigh-ins for six months. So there's at le- there was at least a six-month waiting period, uh, which, relatively speaking, in Canada is a seven-year waiting period wow. for surgery. So that was probably okay. But the, the criteria has changed with the advent and uh, with so much surgery being done in the United States. Well, actually, it's not that much, relatively speaking, but more and more, and, and research showing that it's effective. Insurance companies have changed their criteria, and a lot of them do not require these six-month waiting periods anymore. They used to require a whole slew of uh, certain criteria, and when they're met, then the patient can have surgery. So the average time is two to three months. So the BMI,
3: you said, is the gauge, and that that's that brings in... a a variety
1: of different conditions right as the BMI goes up or you know all-cause mortality goes up cardiac diabetes uh, musculoskeletal everything uh, goes up as the BMI goes up and you talked about sleep apnea and other things right. and those other new
3: conditions that are coming in that people need to, to pay attention to that that aren't typically addressed or associated with potential weight loss
1: well so a lot of people don't know they have sleep apnea they snore. They've been snoring for years, but nobody, they've never been tested. You know, their spouses, some, a spouse or significant other can say, you know what? Yeah, you know, he stops breathing you know, for a second. I have to give him a nudge to wake him up. So that's severe sleep apnea, but people don't, maybe don't even know. They don't know that they're waking up middle of the night to go to the bathroom. They think it's their prostate, but it's the sleep apnea because they keep waking up. So there's a lot of things that uh, that gets discovered during the workup process. Sometimes cardiac issues get discovered, patients that we knew anything about, or
2: mm-hmm. pulmonary issues. So there are some things that are discovered during the workup process. So you're getting an extensive physical before you even get right. considered for the surgical procedure itself.
1: Well, you know, you're sort of considered for the procedure once you qualify. But once you qualify, you then have to make sure that you know we you know the the eyes are dot and the T's are crossed. So yes, mm-hmm. they have to have a compre- comprehensive workup and comprehensive clearances prior to surgery we this is an elective procedure any way you look at it okay. and we don't
2: we want to minimize our,
1: the risk of the patient even, you know, although we know that the patient is high risk
2: in general and where in this process do you have that conversation like i think i think gastric bypass would be a better route than, than this this procedure so
1: we we start the conversation at their first visit they're provided with literature that has all procedures in it a, a video that we've recorded that they have to watch as an educational video that's for half an hour, mm-hmm. and the posters are placed on the walls of our office and we discuss, well, we, we try to minimize, you know, the need to make these decisions right away, right now. You know, we have plenty of time to talk about these things. They can think about what, what they would like. Some people come in knowing what they want. Mm-hmm. Some people are on defense, fence. And then there are some people
2: who have had major surgery in the past, and then we have to gear them a certain direction. What do you find is, I'll say, the number one reason people say, I, I want this surgery? Is it, I, I want to have better health, I have a health condition, or is it, is it my lifestyle, I, I want to look thin? What, what, what is the number or the top reasons people saying they want this surgery?
1: Well, well, there's multiple reasons. One, you know, a uh, so, uh, majority of people, before they come to surgery, take about two years to make that decision. Uh, they go you know they've tried dieting it's worked in the past it hasn't worked in the past and uh, sometimes their doctor recommends it sometimes uh, a life event that stimulates them to undergo surgery Uh, sometimes you know they're sort of i've been thinking about it for a while and i finally made the decision or a friend had it done and they were successful and that gives them the courage to uh, come in You know, it's a combination, people are scared, people are nervous about these surgeries, Mm -hmm. uh, and they want something done, but they're nervous. And at the same time, they feel like I'm fine. And you know, there's sort of an emerging kind of thing in, in our current culture of body positivity, where it's okay to be obese, and it's okay to live that way. You know, some people try to subscribe to that, but I think eventually that doesn't work as well. So there's multiple reasons why people come in.
0: Are there any risks associated with these procedures?
1: So there are. I mean, the number one risk is nausea after surgery. That's the number one risk, it's the most common. uh, Because we are a center of excellence and we have to participate in the quality measures of the American College of Surgeons, all our data is compiled into a national database. And thousands and thousands and thousands of surgeries have been done, and so they looked at 150 criteria of complications after surgery. And number one is nausea. The worst complication can be a disruption of the anatomy requiring
2: further procedures. But, those, but it's rare to have that happen. So somebody gets through all of the, uh, the process leading up to the day of they, they come in for surgery. What is the day of surgery like? So before they get to surgery, there's a whole
1: workup process. And then after they can get consented in the office by an extensive consent form, uh, going over every possibility that can happen and uh, an understanding, they also undergo a test. They have a quiz in, uh, at the office that they have to get 100% on. Now obviously it's an informational quiz, but true and false, but we go over the answers if they get it wrong to make sure that they're clear. If we feel that the patient is not ready for surgery or lacks understanding of what they're getting themselves into despite an extensive workup, we will send them back home with more literature to read and we will go over stuff again in the future because we feel like they're just not understanding what they're getting themselves into but most people who are who go through that process after they visit us in the office they also get a pre-op class what to expect in the hospital what you what to expect you're gonna come in in the morning you're gonna go prevision testing you're gonna go into the uh, area where you're going to change into a gown, and you're going to be seen by a nurse, and they're going to be given medications, and then the anesthesiologist will see you, and then afterwards you'll be going to surgery. After surgery, you'll be up and about, moving. There's no drains, no catheters. You'll be moving and walking right after surgery. Pain control, nausea control. You know, we start you on a clear liquid diet the next day, which is a stage one diet. With uh, there's a uh, four stages they have to go through post pre- postoperatively, lasting a week. A piece, but the clear li- clear liquid diet is pretty much liquids you could see through, and mostly clear protein shakes that you know give them the nutrition. A nutritionist sees them in the hospital. The post one goes over again what what they can and cannot do, and uh, then the, they also get their medications in the hospital. Uh, so their vi- nausea medication, if they if they needed vitamins uh pain medication uh, stool softeners if they need to get all given to them in the hospital so they go home you know it's more comfortable that way mm-hmm. and they go home the next day or the following day depending on how they feel you know they're never pushed out of the hospital We always make sure that they're okay before they go mm-hmm. and make sure they tolerate their clears they're walking they don't necessarily have to pass gas or go to the bathroom before they leave in a bowel movement but uh, they do have to be feel comfortable before they go home mm-hmm.
2: so that's sort of the process and how long is the average surgery uh average surgery can last from an hour to two hours Oh, okay. And uh, this is done primarily robotically, or you're, you're opening incisions? Uh, th- everything's done with minimal inc- incisions, robotically, laparoscopically, but the incisions are small. You mentioned the, the four stage. What are those four stages? So this four stages of diet lasts for a month. The first stage is liquids, clear
1: liquids, liquids you could see through, mostly protein shakes with some jello. And- That's a month. A week. That's it's a week. Weak. Okay. Second stage is the second week, which uh, it's liquids you don't see through, but it's still liquids. Mostly again protein shakes, and followed with uh, yogurts and some uh, uh, other items, and it's all listed in their app that they're given during before the uh, surgery, and also uh, on you know on paper if they need it. And the third stage is soft, and the fourth stage is regular food. Regular food doesn't mean we're going to steaks and and chickens, we're going with soft fish, we're going with soft vegetables. You know, we tell patients they should stay away from hard meat for six months. And of course, staying away from alcohol and carbonated beverages also Mm -hmm. for that period of time. Mm Uh, so it takes time. It takes. It's a learning curve. Some patients' learning curves are um, different than others because, in a way, it's sort of like muscle memory, right? You're sort of used to living a certain way. When you go to the shower, you first wash your hair, then your body. If you do it in reverse, you get confused. Same thing here. You have to sort of uh, relearn uh, a new way of being, and that takes some time. That takes some time. Take they, home in a couple of days. Take home in a couple of days, but still, you know what happens? The anatomy is very small, physically small. I mean, the diameter is less than a quarter. Uh, when we test the anatomy during surgery, we test it with 30 cc's of fluid. A, cl- a glass of water, too, has 240 cc's. Oh. So you could imagine that, you know, they don't necessarily understand the concept that they have to sip, not gulp. It takes a while to get used to that.
0: And is that something that they kind of have to live with, you know, forever, or is it just the initial period, and then they can eventually get back to eating and drinking what they want?
1: So some patients, their their food tastes change. They don't have necessarily the cravings they had before surgery, and they physically can't fit the food in, so their diets change. Those that are uh, very in tune with the surgery and and the compliant, uh, they continue a certain lifestyle, a certain way of living, uh, uh, choosing their foods. For example, you have to have 60 to 80 grams of protein a day so it's, that's your first go-to and so they'd have that first because protein takes longer to digest and has more um dense calories and so meaning that it uh, it takes longer to digest the patient gets fuller quickly so proteins are first and it gets easier to eat after a while with a sleeve particularly it gets easier and sometimes the appetite that disappears uh, after surgery for multiple reasons one is the anatomy is smaller second is we do remove that part of the stomach that performs that forms a hormone called ghrelin that functions in, in appetite. And so patients hungry ghrelin levels go up. So we remove that segment of the stomach where it's produced, and that also helps with appetite control. And a bypass, it's also the appetite loss of appetite that functions mostly the reason why people lose weight. With appetite, with the bypass it doesn't come back as readily as it does with the sleeve after significant weight loss. Mm-hmm.
2: And how soon after surgery and how long after surgery are people still coming? Or do they, they come to you for follow-up visits? So the follow-ups are a week after surgery, one to two weeks, then a month after surgery, then every three months for the first year, every six months for the second year, then every year after that. And how long after surgery do most patients see a physical loss of right, weight. so patients start to see right away yeah. even after their first visit you know we talk about
1: five ten percent weight loss is significant to change some of the metabolic parameters sleep apnea diabetes the need for insulin high blood pressure medication so that five to ten pound weight loss can occur very quickly mm-hmm. uh and then from there it continues weight loss continues for about 18 months but most patients will lose most of their weight eight months to a year
0: Is there any psychological prep, I mean, are there any plateaus that the patients go through in this recovery process with the weight loss? You know, do they have to deal with that? You know, can they continue to lose weight over a longer period of time?
1: So plateaus do occur, but plateaus are not a failure. Plateaus are also a success because they are not gaining weight. So plateaus are not a failure. And plateaus come and go. There's no real, sometimes what happens is some patients are very, uh, very excited about their weight loss, and so they weigh themselves every day, and that's like watching grass grow, you know, this doesn't work. So we recommend once a week, but we do recommend weighing yourself because it really makes a difference, right? Because most of us are scared to get on that scale, but getting on that scale really puts you in perspective what you need to be doing. So weighing yourself once a week is important, and plateaus are can occur and do occur, and then yeah, we work through them. Uh, either we you know, have to see what the diet is, or maybe we have to uh, add a medication to help along, uh, and uh, so we, we assess things as they come along has to come about.
2: And we're talking for most of this conversation about the benefits when we ter- talk about weight. There's obviously other health benefits to weight loss surgery, I imagine. Right, obviously the blood pressure. So again,
1: patients are told they have to make an appointment to see the doctor within a week or two after surgery because. Of uh, their blood pressure is going to drop if you continue with the same dosage of medication you're taking because you don't need a much support because of your weight. So blood pressure, uh, diabetic uh, medications. Uh, patients, for example, who have a gastric bypass on insulin will drop half their insulin dose the, na- the day after surgery. Yep. Their sugars will stabilize, maybe low 200 maybe even lower than that. So there is, uh, and some comorbidities will go a hundred percent after surgery. And even if patients do regain some weight back, let's say five years after surgery, and they require some support for their diabetes, that diabetic support is only diet and maybe metformin, uh, which is a mild medication. It's not gonna go back to their insulin needs. So there are some long-term benefits mm. that we talk about. So this is a major health issue for people.
3: Right. But you mentioned it's it's elective. Right. So yeah. is that is that something that insurance covers or is it something that like people people need to understand that going into something like this, it's still considered elective. They need to be able to to
1: financially afford it. So insurance does cover. Most insurances do cover. there are, there are stories where in the United States, in several states, some insurance companies, you have to uh, wait a year to get surgery. Some insurances only cover one procedure for a lifetime kind of stuff. All those things are just tactics, you know, they're mostly related to business tactics. They're not necessarily health tactics. The studies have shown over and over again, the benefits of surgery, the fact that the patient loses weight will not need so much medical support, which saves the money for the insurance companies thing is that a lot of patients stay with insurance companies for a certain period of time so uh, they don't the insurance companies don't reap the benefits of paying for these things whereas the government like the Medicare doesn't you know th- thinks more about society as a whole So most insurances do cover these medications mm-hmm. the surgery is elective which allows insurance companies to have a leeway to decide what they want to do and when they want to do it right It's not like open heart surgery if you need triple cardiac you a triple, uh, cardi- if you need a, uh, triple bypass you- there's no elective you got to do it right now. So that's why insurance have to cover that cost. But bariatrics, they have the leeway because we don't know when that obesity is going to be the be all and end all for that patient. So it is elective surgery. So people shouldn't be nervous to
3: come in and just have a consultation or speak about it if they if they have an issue and they they want to address it. They shouldn't feel like there's that barrier between insurance and affordability. They
1: should just come in and have the conversation. Right, absolutely. I mean, uh, most insurances are do cover. There are some that maybe we as a hospital don't take necessarily, but we pretty much take all all comers. And patients should never feel uh, nervous
2: about coming in for any reason, even to have a conversation. Do you find that you have patients who come in who feel embarrassed or low self-esteem because of the way they look? Well, by, de- de- by definition, they have that internally. Mm-hmm. We never make them feel that way in
1: the office, and we always discuss with them, you know, what they have internally, what they have socially, is probably it, it definitely is affected by their weight and their perception of themselves. Uh, not everybody is like that. You know, some people are very positive about themselves. They have a certain, you know, very good support structure at home. Uh, some patients have that, but uh, that never is a, a reason
2: for doing or not doing surgery, or it's never a reason for seeing or not seeing a patient. And post surgery, I know uh, people who have have cancer. There are support groups. To, are there bariatric support yeah. groups for individuals? We have a monthly support group, uh, which where we did different topics
1: of discussion every single month. And uh, the good thing about the support group is it it's yeah. our patients. So a lot of patients will go on the internet and look for support groups, Facebook groups, whatever. But it's from all over the place. We don't, and they don't know where it's coming from. They don't know where these patients had surgery. Every our support groups, patients had surgery with us. So whatever. Concern or questions or worries a patient has, they know that the answer is coming from their experience with us. Mm-hmm. So that makes it much more pertinent and much more useful. For, so we do re- encourage support group uh, participation, and anybody can participate in our support groups, even as an informational session, to see what people are talking about, to see what patients are asking. So they have a you know more comfortable with with the procedure and whatever else. They have questions, right?
0: That's yeah, right. Uh-huh.
1: yeah, that's yeah. important. Especially for informational purposes. Yeah, I mean, these yeah. Really... and I encourage that. I mean, I encourage patients to have access to support groups for free, uh, mostly on comp- uh, online, so they don't have to be anywhere physically if they don't feel comfortable. And they don't have to even uh, be, a video doesn't have to be present. As long as the audio is on, they have a question, they, you know, they can ask any question they want.
0: That's great to have that
1: kind of support. Yeah.
0: Uh, I'd love to get a little personal with you and learn if you could tell us a little bit about what got you into the field of bariatrics. Is that what you knew you wanted to do when you went into medical school?
1: No, I mean, when I went to medical school and I was a resident, it was an evolving field. Mm-hmm. Uh, bariatrics uh, bariatrics started in the 70s um, uh, and the 80s. Actually, the first bypass was done in 1973. And then in 1980s, uh, Dr. Walter Porries, which is a historic figure in bariatrics, started talking about treating diabetes with with surgery. Whoever thought about that? So it was an evolving, emerging field. In fact, my mentor, who I trained with, was one of the first to do bariatrics in the country. Um, His chairman of surgery uh, went to to overseas and came back with a small device, uh, which has ended up being our laparoscopic staplers. Covidian, which is a company that started as another company. His friend, who was a patent attorney, came to his office and saw this device and his said, what is this? He goes, well, I bought this from, from a different country. And they patented this device, and they started Covidian. They started the laparoscopic uh, surgical industry. So my, ch- my mentor trained with uh, this gentleman. Back in the day, surgery was done open. And it was frowned upon, you know, by the medical community, it was frowned upon by society, you know, because we have these biases about obesity, you know, that it's self-inflicted, you know, it's it's psychological weakness, it's your fault. And so th- he started an era where this was not very popular. Right. But with time and obviously, you know, so when I, by the time I trained with him, he was already doing, you know, laparoscopy and he was one of the first senators of excellence in America. Actually, one of the first, when it came out, the movement started when I was a fellow in 2006, he was one of the first to receive it. It wasn't under the American College of Surgeons, it was under the Surgical Review Committee, but it was one of the first recognized center of excellences. So that's where I sort of uh, you know,
2: evolved from, uh, bariatric surgery. And you joined Rumsey when? 2018. So you come in 2018 and Rumsey says, we want to create this uh, Bariatric and Metabolic Institute. What, what did you envision this center? What did you want it to become? What did you see in other places that lessons learned, I'll say, were that you said, if I'm gonna build this, these were things I saw were missing in other places. These are things I wanted to duplicate to make this bariatric metabolic center the place to go for weight loss surgery. Well, my, my biggest concern is safety. Mm-hmm. Safety
1: is number one, outcome is number two. So I want, my goal is to sleep quietly at night and have peace and quiet in my life. And, the, and that requires, you know, concentration and making sure that outcomes are good, patients are happy. I came from an institution where I spent 10 years uh, learning and growing. And uh, the institution was also a center of excellence. So, we had all the necessary uh, literature and the know-how of how to start a center of excellence. So, we, when we came into Ramsey, that was our goal. Our goal was to get a center of excellence. And so, we, we right away implemented quality metrics and quality measures to make sure that outcomes are good and and that's what we've done from day one and that's how we've continued today and that's the only thing that drives us is our safety and uh, you know patient outcomes
0: great uh, I would love to know what are the most challenging aspects of your job but also the most rewarding?
1: Well, t- surgery can be sometimes very challenging the anatomy is different in all comers uh, you can do the same sleeve and 10 different people and have 10 different pro- technical procedures so it's always interesting to see the change- the differences in anatomy uh, it's very surprising sometimes you know they're sort of looking it looks like ticking tie bombs you know and mm-hmm. they're waiting for you to make a mistake you know somebody out up there is looking at you saying you know here you go here's a here's an obstacle and you're like damn it you know I got through this one or two again mm-hmm. So technically, it could be very challenging, but that's also rewarding. Um, uh, sometimes, you know, uh, if there are potential complications that can occur, those are very distressing to myself and the patient. So getting through those are, uh, you know, challenging. Um, and just, you know, making sure that, you know, we continue to have a successful program. So as we've talked to many of the different professionals
3: from Rumsey, there's often the, the sentiment that you can be as prepared as you possibly can be. But when you're in the moment, you have to pivot and figure it out and it's gotta be very high stress. So once you get out of those situations, what do you do to actually breathe? Like, what do you do to, to have free time for yourself or relax or be able to clear your mind to be able to stay so focused and so dialed in that you're able to constantly pivot and make those decisions and under high stress situations. Like what is your, what's your thing that you do to relax and
1: breathe? Well, so, you know, when I was a resident, the big the thing was you keep rolling until you roll home. You know, you just keep going, keep going, keep going until you just, you know, end up in a home in your bed. But um, uh, I have a very good support system. Uh, I have a very good family, you know, wife, kids, uh, my uh, parents, well, my mother uh, also. So, I have a very good support system. I've... You know, I've utilized that over the years. You know, I, it's almost automatic to me because I speak to my friends a lot. I speak to my family a lot. I'm pretty open in terms of conversing about my frustrations. I think that helps me a lot. Um, I am, uh, in terms of past times, you know, I I do certain things. I'm not a golf player. I don't, you know, I never had time. I never had to develop the skills. And I don't know, just for me, it's a little tedious, but I don't like it. I like fast-paced stuff. I like more like, you know, maybe I'll get a motorcycle. I don't know. But... uh, uh <laughs> But the thing is, uh, I think most of my relaxation comes from socialization. Yeah. Socializing is, is my level, is my relaxation. And uh, you know, uh, talking to patients, you know, making sure they're comfortable, and just uh, my staff. You know, we have a very close relationship in the office with the staff. It's sort of, you know, it's like a family. We don't have, you know, a hierarchy. We, we anybody can ask any question they want. Anybody can approach anybody they want without saying, you know, worry about the consequences. Of, so I like to have that environment, and that also allows for success with the program, with the patients, everybody's happy uh, for the most part, and that's and patients see that.
0: I'd love to know what are some of the advances you think we'll see coming down the road for this field of surgery?
1: Well, so, you know, uh, the advent of medication, uh, we, we hear all this talk about, you know, the medications that are coming down the pike, they're already available. And everybody's trying to, you know, be, uh, uh, I guess benefit from them financially, personally, and, and also for the patient. Some of these medications have been out for many years and been used in the capacity for diabetes, and and have the side effect of weight loss. And but these medications don't come with a price. Nothing is free. Nothing is, you know, hundred uh, uh, percent. Some people have side effects on these medications. Some people can't tolerate these medications. Some people had enough of medication; they don't want to poke themselves, you know, every week. Um, so, but medications will play a role in helping us make bariatric or metabolic surgery successful. We'll have to combine the two, and I have patients who we've done that on and they're very successful, and vice versa. We have patients who've started medications, they don't want them, they want surgery. We have patients who had surgery, need a little help with medication. We have patients who want surgery, but the, their uh, body habitus and their BMIs to the point where we don't our CAT scanners don't have capacity and so they have to lose weight so we can start on those medications. So medications will be the uh, the new addition to metabolic surgery. Do you uh, do you stay in touch with them, but, uh, a lot of patients? Yes, I mean they, we do have follow ups. You know, sometimes you don't recognize them. Sometimes we, you know, they and uh, they do come back for follow ups. We do have them in support groups. So yeah, we we have. Uh, we have a good
2: relationship with our, our patients. How does it feel when you see a patient like you just said your patient yeah. you don't recognize walks right. in the door yeah. and it's like wow. Yeah.
1: I remember I when I I had a patient, it was a young woman uh you know, obviously required surgery, a large BMI, but you could tell just the features and her personality and the way she was, and she, you know, a very attractive young woman, and uh, very smart. And I right away I saw that. And I've been in communication with her over the years. She, we had she had surgery. She's lost tremendous amount of weight. she's you know, her life has been transformed. Um, and you know, I call her Wonder Woman. You know, sort of like that old show we used to watch as kids. You know, these just. Linda, what was her name, Linda? Linda Carter. Linda Carter. Okay. So yeah, she's her life has transformed. Uh-huh. Uh, she is a completely different person. Her life has been completely transformed from who she was. But she always knows who she was. And all patients who undergo weight loss surgery always still feel like they were before surgery. They don't see themselves as the new person. They still remember the old person. Mm-hmm. So, um,
2: but I do, I do have some of those stories, yeah. And you mentioned earlier, it sounds like when a patient comes into the Bariatric Metabolic Institute, they're never alone throughout this journey. You mentioned an app, these videos, the information, the right. support group. Yeah. The, the so this is this is a journey that you're very much on with them from the day they walk in the door to the day.
1: Our our program is structured that they come in every month, and we make sure that pro- how they're progressing. We have you know we follow them through. Um, yeah, we follow them through our own uh, databases and we make sure that and it always helps so if a patient comes in and their appointment has been scheduled but it's a few months in advance and they're ready for surgery already we will make the phone call we'll try to get them and expedite things so we do we are very hands-on through the whole journey
2: of surgery and you talked about as we talk about it's a, grow, a growing field roughly how many bariatric surgeries have you performed like last year we perform about uh, maybe 150 cases a year. Wow. Uh,
1: uh, in terms of nationally, uh, there's about 250,000 done a year. So in terms of nationally, it's interesting that the amount of people that qualify from the amount of people that qualify, only one percent have surgery. Well wow. still really still this wow. even from 10 years ago the numbers haven't changed much. They went from maybe 150,000 to 250,000, but you have 22 million Americans who qualify. So that's only 1% of people who qualify get surgery. So we actually that? don't, well, uh, access to health, access, insurance issues, uh, fear, um, knowledge, you know, uh, there's multiple reasons. But we don't do enough of these surgeries mm-hmm. to, and compared to the people that need it. We perform, you know, cardiac surgery, we perform stenting, we perform tons of stenting, even though studies have shown that stenting doesn't change life expectancy, doesn't. Change, but we still do it. We don't do enough of the surgery that's been proven to be life-saving.
3: So first step for somebody listening in that is considering a procedure or something like that, that they want
1: to be able to come to Rumsey is to to go online or to be able to to call in? So patients are able to call in through our number and make an appointment. Patients are also able to make an appointment online uh, through our website. And uh, sometimes, I think, we also use Symmetry; They can make uh, appointments as well. Uh, So there's multiple ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, Patient will make a phone call. They'll get an appointment. What we do is just send out an email with our introductory uh, information and a link to our seminar. So they can do our seminar before they come in. So when they come in, we can have a sort of a a really informative conversation and not from a standpoint of from teaching, but from a point of information. And so we and we require the seminar, we require the seminar, at least within the first two visits coming to us, even if not, but we prefer if a patient really sees the seminar. And already comes in with information and questions. about the questions they have, the more interesting it is for us, because we want patients to be knowledgeable. That's our number one goal here. So until as much as they want, they can about the surgery. Of course,
0: in our final minutes together, can you tell me a little bit about your colleagues in the bariatric department, and if somebody was considering bariatric surgery, why should they choose the bariatric and metabolic institute at RMC?
1: Well, I think the reason they should choose uh, the Metabolic Institute because we really have a um, very individual approach. We have um, respect for the patient. We don't judge anybody. We uh, uh, we have a very uh, cohesive team. Patients feel very comfortable with us. And uh, there's two surgeons in, in in the program. There's myself and Dr. Zamatis. Uh, And so I think uh, I've just maybe it's intuitive, maybe it's natural. I just have a certain way that I want the program to be, and uh, I think that patients are seeing that, that, and they feel very comfortable with us. There is uh, um, there's a lot of word of mouth uh, uh, that they know they tell their friends, their families, and again they are they have access to us 24/7. Any questions they have, they can always ask. and so I think that that's important to have a successful program.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Dr. Barkin, for joining us today and for all that you do to keep us safe and
1: healthy. Thank you for having me. Of course.
0: As you've heard, there are highly skilled, experienced medical professionals ready to serve you at Richmond University Medical Center's mm-hmm. Bariatric and Metabolic Institute. To learn more about our services or to schedule a consultation, please call 718 4020, or visit our website at rumsysi.org. That about does it for this episode of Rumsey Connections. Thanks for joining us. I'm Meredith Gaskins.